0: your you can, your fancy you can by the wagon. but the only two for the brave and two comes from the green Hello, and welcome to the Green Dragon. I'm Jeremy, and with me is David. Greetings. And we have a special episode all about Green Dragon tactics and defining what they actually mean. Yeah, this is one that people have been asking for for a while, because...
1: There was a bit of a problem that nobody had a clue what we were saying. It was kind of
0: embarrassing because we've been doing this for a while. That is, that is a little bit embarrassing. Now, I would like to say it's probably the others that we don't understand. I think we're very clear, David, at all times. In fact, I'm pretty sure in this dictionary, none of my phrases are in there because everything I say is understandable immediately. Oh, yeah, for those in the know, and we're both in the know quite clearly. I believe our listeners are also in the know. They are in the know, yes, yes, our listeners. The ones who don't know are not in the know, so they're not our listeners, therefore they're not listening. Yes. We can't be having with knowless men. Mm. Absolutely. Okay, so David, you have created a tactical dictionary for us, which is a massive document. You've got it spiral bound or just bound. Um, the
1: one I've got in front of me at the moment is actually the proofing draft for version 1.4.
0: Oh, 1.4. I think we've published 1.3 at the moment, mm-hmm. but we'll definitely publish publish 1.4 once we proofread it again.
1: Uh, the main changes are the addition of the flowcharts into Appendix C,
0: just because we need to put them
1: somewhere. Oh, we definitely
0: need an Appendix C, absolutely. Good. So, we're going to give some highlights from the Tactical Dictionary, and go into David's mind a little bit about how he's created this, and and why, and, and the thoughts behind it, because some, some of them have interesting discussion points, I believe. So, you're supposed to get the Textual Dictionary. Feel free to download it. I'll put another link in this, this show notes for this episode. We're not going to go through it in its entirety because it's a long document. No one sits there reading dictionaries from start to finish. No, it's just well, not what you do. No, probably not. I don't think so. We'll go through some of our favorites and give you some thoughts on that.
1: Well, I suppose we should start at the very beginning with activation control. Activation control is a concept that is really hard to explain to new players because they like, I wish to kill the enemy. But to kill the enemy, you need to trap the enemy. To trap the enemy, you've got to do a whole lot of walking. It's much easier if you can control them and get them to come to you so you don't have to go all the way to them. Mm. Best story I have for this is, quite simply, if you have more shooting than them, that can control their actions. If you have more magic than them, it can control their actions. Or even better if you don't spend all the points on magic and shooting, but you can convince your opponent that you have by talking up the quality of the archers that you did bring, then you can convince the enemy to come to you.
0: I think I once gained activation control with a Dunlan army with about four bowmen because the other pe- other player didn't have any at all. Mm-hmm. And I got lucky on the first turn. I think I got a kill or two, really. Just stood there and shot and I, and, and got a kill. And immediately they thought that well, they were under pressure, so they had to come at me. So I was able to run away from most of the games just because they were worried about my 4 or 6 or whatever amount of bowmen, which is a tiny amount. It was probably negligible. They shouldn't have done that. But even with just that tiny amount of bowfire, I was able to control their activations.
1: It's good. I remember the story I was after. I had Hobbit Militia. I had a warband of them. The enemy was move 6, so they would have to take one turn of throwing rocks from my warband so I talked up how lucky my hobbits are at shooting, and I talked up how deadly that strength one was, and the enemy avoided my hobbit warband to go around and fight my Gondorians because they were quite clearly less scary than my hobbit warband.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Okay, so my favourite one on, on this page, uh, my, fir- my first favourite one, the apparent focus Now, this is a psychological warfare and deception tactic in which one player seeks to draw the opponent's attention towards an irrelevant section of the battlefield and leave them blind to all else that moves. To achieve this, the player must convince their opponent that their own focus is directed towards the decoy location or model. This can be done through the use of careful and deliberate measurement and by asking highly specific questions that are disguised as general clarifications such as, hey, would you say these models were within three inches, just hypothetically? This tactic normally always combines the hidden in plain sight tactic, which we'll talk about, well, you can read about later actually, to form a combined deception, no deception strategy also mentioned later on. There's a lot of references inside, a lot of circular references actually as well. But this is one of my favorite tactics to go through. I spend lots of time asking questions about a certain hero over and over again. How much mind has he got? Uh, Okay, and I just measure it for a little bit. I measure to a couple guys, I count, I move over there, Or while I'm actually planning to attack somewhere totally. Sometimes I'll even uh, do silly things like in deployment. I'll get my case or whatever and throw it down where I'm going to deploy. So I've got a little drawer of that. Yeah, so, so gonna...
1: the opponent thinks that that area is blocked because yeah. there's a case there. Yeah, you can't yeah, just, deploy just, on a just, case. Just, just put you... it
0: down there. Put it, And then the first warband comes out and I lift it up and put it there. Oh. yeah of course and and you can do all kinds of things people do it with like piles of dice or rule books or anything like that like just to draw attention to certain parts of the battlefield occasionally I leave a couple models behind a building or something like that and just don't touch them for first three or four turns so just leave them and then start moving them slowly and then at some point perhaps reveal them or draw them there um with my the the latest army we've been playing the the ring raves of the necromancer they've actually got the two ring raves that flick to each other so you can do it from a model's point of view so you can draw focus over one side of the battlefield and, and then, then he you, disappears and he appears on the other side and which is, is devastating yeah so I've got got the upgrade to this as well so this is the kind of tactic that I like using just because well I don't tend to get the advantage with dice a whole lot so I like to get it with focus moving it around yes so you're quite. Um, I'll quite commonly
1: deploy this relative to a hero. So the opponent has a hero. I'll ask, what's his fight value? And then I'll openly compare it to one of my heroes. Okay, so you'll fight six, I'm fight five. That means I'll have to get a strike from somewhere. And automatically, the enemy is thinking that my hero is coming for them. Mm. My hero is not going anywhere near them. They're <laughs> a Boromir, an Aragon. That would be crazy talk. But the enemy assumes I'm moving that way, so they'll move accordingly.
0: Yeah, I also like doing things when you have magic to... Draw something out, so you measure it. You ask questions, and you throw away just a, a crappy spell on your, you know, your free dice. Mm-hmm. So things like compel to move them around is really good because it gets them thinking a lot. So you set it up, you measure lots and lots of things, and, and they think up, you've got a plan for it. Yeah, and you throw it like a one die compel. Mm-hmm. Just let them use their will. And when they do it, you just move. You just move. It doesn't matter which direction you move, you move them, and then you just leave it for a little bit, and it mm-hmm. keeps them guessing. And they they often bring more models towards it. So it's a really good way of drawing models away.
1: It's normally used to set up an additional tactic, which is the hidden implant site, which is where whatever is really important to you, you just pay no attention to it, um, because then the opponent will pay no attention to it, and you can get it into position. This works particularly well if you know how your opponent thinks. Which mm. This gets into the deep deception. Oh, yes. Um, so if you're playing against Nick, he likes Aragon. So if he has Aragon on the board, you talk up whatever's going on around Aragon... And he becomes blind to all else that moves. Oh, yeah, that's very
0: true. Yes, yes. I'm the same with Randall, actually. Once yes. he's on the board, I'm bl- like I'm normally pretty good about it. But when he's on the board, I just get like hero worship.
1: Oh yeah, that's because he's got the magic hat and he's, oh, he's- got the new swords and
0: the is so good. I love him. Love him. So I always always <laughs> focus on that. David, your next one. Okay, so I'm gonna skip a few here,
1: and I'm going to go to the avoidance bubble. Because this is one that the Green Dragon has discussed, you know, with a fair amount of regularity. So the avoidance bubble is a defensive position tactic for countering large heroes with restricted movement. See the halo formation. Yeah. Because I think this that's... is the one where we've actually, I went through the episodes, we've got about five or six names for it. Yes. So if you trace this one through, you'll be able to find all five or six names.
0: Absolutely. This was one of my earliest tactics, actually. I remember doing it in from the first edition when people like um, Gilgalad... Would would walk around and kill lots of troops. Oh,
1: yes, this was before he got the armored horse that is now a non-armoured horse. He was on
0: foot and he was he was an absolute killer. So whenever he he got the battlefield, people would spend a lot of points on him in an alpha army, and he would never have a model within six and a half inches of him, ever.
1: This is before heroic strike as well. So you couldn't even all in him. He no, was just... no, no, no.
0: He's he was pretty much once he got into combat, he was he was doing his work. So I started using this tactic for infantry and it worked really well. And my my key moment in this tactic, I actually did it to a Kamul on Fel Beast. I had a 22 and a half inch bubble around him.
1: So he couldn't even compel people in.
0: Yeah. like or was, it, maybe it was Maybe it was maybe 16 or something like that, but he couldn't enter the combat the turn. It was whatever the compel was plus the that, and I still managed to get the game. It was on a 6x4 board, so I had lots of room to manoeuvre, but it was the biggest uh, halo formation, I call it. avoidance mm-hmm. bubble, biggest Boydance bubble I've ever managed to pull off and it's been successful at. If your opponent knows it's coming, they often can screen it around and just eat up the battlefield. But if they don't and they're they're an elite army, you can often play that avoidance bubble. It's fun. Yeah.
1: It used to be particularly effective against the Balrog because it had a mm. massive base, was quite slow. Now it can pick people up at range. You've got to be even further back. Yes. But...
0: Yeah. And then you probably combine it with other tactics where they, they grab the model, you give them a model that you don't mind them grabbing... Yep. draw them away, bait them with a heroic combat somewhere else, and then run. But it's it also forces them to use a lot of resources because they end up using heroic moves to, to try and get into the bubble and they might not be able to reach you. So that's good fun. My next one? Yes. Yes, I'm going to keep going because we, we're going to definitely do the this one. I am a big fan of charging up the dice, David. Charging up the dice. So we're already in the seas because I'm going to keep it moving. Charging up the dice. This is one that... Um, I'll read it out, or I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it. Basically, this is one that I believe you were the first one to to, to discover. I right? discovered
1: the first of the applications, but on deeper inspection, there's actually a few different ways to charge your dice. So. Yeah,
0: I remember your, your description of the dice where you'd you'd roll it off the table, pick it up, roll it off the table again pick it up and then you'd feel that it was sufficiently charged so you'd be able to roll and your chances of getting a six were exponentially increased after that charge. Now the thing I liked about this more, not not just because that clearly um, is is true and there's no there's well, no mathematical we have doubt to it. Eyewitnesses. You can't beat an eyewitness report. We put out that in a in an episode that that discussion and the very next event we went to, I reckon about half the people in the, the event, were charging their dice. And, and they weren't just charging
1: time. it. They were using the terminology.
0: Yes, yes. And the, oh, it was it was so surreal. And people were laughing and having a good time with it. No one was getting upset that all, so many dice were going off the board. It was always a key rolls. So you could always oh, yes. tell. So it was like, okay, like this is be my You'd be playing your
1: game, and you'd hear a voice behind you say, wait, I'm just going to charge up my dice.
0: <laughs> so that was fantastic. So I really love mm-hmm. that one.
1: But we have... A few new ways, and I have actually been doing some mm, research with these. Sure. So Good. common examples include appeals to theme. So this is where you shout, come on, you are Aragon! You will not die at one little goblin. I was trying this at the last tournament. I had a bunch of Rohan, a bunch of Dol Amroth fighting a Balrog, and I yelled at them. I informed them that this was for Gondor, for Rohan, for Dol Amroth, and they killed that Balrog. <laughs> we have oh, proof that appeals to theme will charge your dice. You have appeals to aesthetic. This mm-hmm. is choosing the correct colour. So, deciding whether red or white or black is going to be the dice for your hero, very important. That is, I I, I do that. Appeals to a tradition, so, such as, this is my lucky captain.
0: The one I don't like about this one is the person has this, like, well-worn lucky dice. Ah, uh, no, no, no. Lucky dice,
1: they're, they're, <laughs> that, that's well out. Lucky captain, though, that's lucky okay. Lucky captain
0: makes it. Yeah, the lucky dice is this, this one that looks like it's been run over by a car. It's brown, and they only pull it out for special moments.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You can have your appeals to your beverage of choice, which is where people are like, oh, this battle's not going so great. I need I need more drinks. Mm. Or you can go to your physical means of manipulation. This is banging the dice on the table oh, to wake that. them up yep. before you roll. Wake up the That's dice. a favourite of mine.
0: I've seen yelling at the dice.
1: Yeah, that can... Yeah, It's less subtle, but it can work. Or, yeah, rolling them off the table a couple of times. Always good.
0: Mm. I've also seen one where people they get the symbol or their six or something like that and then line them all up to try and train the dice in order to go on that positive reinforcement Yeah, Yeah, So they keep the dice in that as much as possible so they rest in the position that they want to be. And if you can throw more dice at the same time, dice function better in a collective. No, that's my tactic. I, I figure that mine are trying to roll ones. So when, they, when they're in a group, they can't actually do it. They, sometimes they bounce, they try to, but they hit a friend. Whereas if they're on their own, they've usually got sufficient enough bounce to go onto the one. So I agree with that. Lots of dice at the same time. Okay, so
1: next up we have the coal Protocol. Uh, the coal Protocol is where a position has been overrun. There is no chance of recovering it. So what you do is you scatter your units in random directions so that the enemy is unsure where your next actual area that you're planning to defend is. So this is quite common to see in something such as domination, where there's five objectives. You don't need all five. So when you lose one, your guys mm. spread out all over the place. The enemy charges off and hopefully lures the bulk of the enemy troops away from your main objectives while you wait for the game to end.
0: This is a fantastic tactic to use with throwing weapon armies. Yes. I'm a massive this is my Grimhammer tactic. 100%. You go Rohan, in, love it as well. You, and you just, just leg it. It's like, no, this isn't working. I'm just going to run full move backwards all over the place. And because you can still threaten them, it's surprising how scared people get by that. So they often, they'll either stand still and you throw, a throw heaps of throwing weapons at them. They'll chase after one group, which will continue running away while you end up encircling them. Um, wood elves do it even better. Corsairs love this tactic, especially when you can fit some arbalesters in. It's, it's a good tactic, and it's one that throws people off because it looks very chaotic.
1: Oh yes, it it looks like they they've broken. They're fleeing in panic. The enemy's like, okay, I'll just, I'll just sweep up and we'll mm-hmm. move on. But the sweeping up takes longer and longer and longer, and then the game ends because you're inflicting whittling damage with all those
0: throwing weapons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not so good against cavalry. You don't want to really do it against cavalry. No, they they tend to catch you rather they swiftly. They tend to like that. That's their aim. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 Now that's one that's not in my version. I think so. That's been updated. Yes,
1: this is part of the 1.4
0: trial. Yeah, no, that was an exciting one. Okay, the the one that I want to point out now is the Death Wave.
1: The Death Wave. The Death
0: Wave. Offensive army selection resources and tempo tactic that involves the use of multiple sources of air effect damage that can remove enemy resources with minimum of interaction with your enemy. So this is the I-want-to-play-a-game-that-you-don't-enjoy-at-all tactic.
1: Yeah, this is when... It's particularly effective against if the opponent's using, say, a Henry Kerr style tactic where <laughs> a, you will lose any interaction. Yes. So yes, you yes, attempt yes. to win without in, without engaging the opponent. So, yeah. Mumak, do not require the opponent to roll dice for you to kill models. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Co- uh, camels from. Ahud? Yeah, camels. A good one. Um, the big floating guy with the. They took away his area of effect death bubble, but. The Necromancer. The
0: necromancer is just as good because what he does is he gets a free die for his chill soul. Well, he gets it for any spell, but he does the death wave by just looking at the, the scariest leader and just say, right, I'm going to throw two dice from my pool and one free at a chill soul every turn mm-hmm. until you j- disappear. At that point, it's more of a
1: death laser than a death wave, though. The yeah. death wave is meant to be the just clear them off. And...
0: I thought a wave was the uh, oh, yeah, the it... troops waving goodbye to their oh, leader. It can also be especially that, Especially when they have bodyguard. Oh, Yes. Yeah no I, yeah so so killing models through non traditional means a lot of the time yeah
1: anything which because if you engage in combat the opponent can throw dice and they can kill you back if you shoot at them they shoot at you mm-hmm. if you hit them with a mook they're dead
0: yes yes do you remember that game where I had a hot, we it was the randomly deployment one. I had like 80 hobbits that slowly walked on. You rolled for your Mumak and then it didn't come on for a turn. Yes. And And then then when it came in reserves, you got the six. So, of course, it came on directly behind my entire army, which had marched for a whole like seven inches or something like that.
1: Yes. So, Uh, the base placement caught up with your army. Yes. And then the move carried it over. How many hobbits was it?
0: I I Uh, think you killed 50,
1: just over 50 of them. That was by turn three. So, I think I got something like 25 of them. Turn two, because yes. it didn't arrive turn one. Yeah, and you got then my movement. archers shot out um, Frodo, Frodo. Yes, <laughs> um, And then turn three, I finished the, I quartered the army.
0: Yeah, no, this is this is a tournament I was doing well at as well. I had an 80 model army at 800 points. And I think, yes, you wiped me out in like three turns before I could interact. Yeah.
1: I think it was still a minor win, because the Moomark only counted as one on the central objective. Yes.
0: Yes, but it was a win to you anyway. Yes. It, oh, oh, I've never seen so lethal. That was good. Okay, so I'll skip through
1: to a personal favourite of mine. The Doom Box. Mm. The Doom Box is where you get a battlefield without much terrain, and you wish to create some terrain, effectively, to affect the trap. So the centre of your army squares off against their army, and as the enemy advances, it drops backwards. The sides turn in and you end up with a nice box shape. The enemy moves into the box for some reason. I've never got why they do it, but they do it every time. Yes. And then you can close the doom box by throwing another warband around behind.
0: Yep. Yep. Usually you you like to encourage them to come forward. So having some archery at the the base of your box is a good way of doing it because people can't resist charging archers.
1: Yes. It's also particularly effective against any army that likes to stay concentrated. So if the enemy has a death ball, because Mm. then you can know exactly how wide that death ball is, and you position your, the sides of your doom box with, you know, linear precision.
0: Yeah, pike formations get sucked into this quite a bit because they, they almost set themselves up for it. So you can get the traps nice and easily there. My favorite way to run it is the Urukai infantry siege force. And I have six to ten crossbowmen and I set it up and the others march forward. They keep shooting, which sets up the box. And the basically I make it so that they, they want to charge the crossbowmen mm-hmm. Crossbowmen are very good fighters. And then the Berserkers and the Pikemen and the Shieldmen and everyone else just wraps around and encircles them. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's it's useful for anyone with more numbers than the opponent. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah, numbers are good. Yep. And it's good for, for rubbish troops mm-hmm. because it, you, you can really... The number advantage is more important than pretty much anything else here. And
1: one more just quickly from the list of Ds, the Doorway Maneuver. Ooh, the doorway and the maneuver. reason why I like the Doorway Maneuver, I'll explain what it is first... It's when your own formation gets in the way of your own archers. So you move your guys, split your formation in half so your archers can see through the middle. And the reason I like this, I think I was at my first ever tournament. It was a cheese con. And I'm like, oh, my, my guys are in the way of my own archers. So I split them in half and Kylie walked past and went, that's the doorway. That's the doorway tactic. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know what's going on. I can perform tactics. Yes,
0: Um I love it when people name the tactics that you just come up with. Yeah, that's really good. The one that I, I like coming through here is the Erratic Fist, which I've never seen the name for it before Before this one, but I, I've, I've done this one. So the Erratic Fist is you basically avoid the appearance of predictability. So you're going random element into the process um, and then just randomly selects options. So you can do it through a dice off. You can do it through just choosing things. What I used to like doing was um, in deployment, you used to not have to deploy warbands. So you just put your army out. What I'll do is just grab models from my case and just place them anywhere. So in my deployment zone, we had 24 inches to get I to a I do formation. remember
1: that. Uh, I, I, I saw that a couple of times and it was baffling. It's, yeah. Does he have a plan? Is, is, does he know what's in his army? Has he checked his army list?
0: It's, yeah. It was almost like, because I could set out these little tiny walls if I needed to. And it was usually in combined with the, um. what was the legate strategy that you called before? Uh, the Corbomite Maneuver, yes, and the and very no. That was the other one. No,
1: that was the uh, when you've got one resource that you just threaten the opponent with and never use uh, the coal protocol.
0: Coal protocol, yes, it was. It's coal protocol is great for it because it's very random. So they come at one part of your army and you just disappear. Mm-hmm. So you just dance around until you see an opportunity, and it works really well for sending up lots of little boxes every once in a while because. They don't know where your army is going to be because it doesn't look like you know. And my strategy was, if I don't know what I'm doing, then the opponent doesn't know what I'm doing, therefore advantage me. Because if the opponent doesn't know what I'm doing, I've got the advantage.
1: And that is something I'll say about your playstyle: You can adapt a lot faster than most people can. Mm. So, if there's confusion, you have the advantage. Yes. Speaking of which, it got the name Erratic Fist because its name was randomly assigned, since the tactic was to be as random as possible. That's fantastic. <laughs> a Brilliant. Yeah, no, I love that one. Okay, we, we do have to mention the fabled movement trick. This is where you move backwards to move forwards. <laughs> there are a number of ways to do this. Uh, most of them involve you moving backwards, the enemy chasing you backwards, you hit and wrap and end up behind them. Yes, but yes. But there are other ways to do it, if you've got flyers or whatever. The best way of doing this is when you flip the table, so you've got... Is that when you deploy the train on a Lazy Susan's? So when the opponent oh, looks no, no, away, no, no, you no, spin no. the table
0: around? <laughs> sort of. But it's, it's, the effect's very similar. So what it is is um, it used to work really well. I'm not sure in the latest edition if it still works, but with some avoidance-type armies... You could actually get them chasing you around so much that you wanted to take them on on their side of the battlefield. And the way you did that was draw them towards your side, go all the way around, and come back to their side. Um, It's great for getting um, armies off the central objectives because you pull them towards them, you go all around... The fable movement is that suddenly you're on their side of the board. And at that point you have to go, can we swap sides? My models are over here. And that's the goal. You want to try and actually swap seats or whatever with the other person. And then you have the victory. You've got the, ev- or oh, you can't lose at that point. Can you? Because yeah, you've already taken both the sides. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good fun. It could not be a green dragon tactic without a flash kill discussion. So this is just the resource management tactic, and it's also a bit of a, um, a showing-off tactic, I think. You want to reduce oh, the definitely. you were Basically, you're trying to kill an enemy while they've still got a whole bunch of resources. So they get that demoralizing effect of crossing off their last wound when there's still two points of might on their profile. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's yeah. so bad.
1: For a proper flash kill, they should start the phase at full stats. Yeah, correct.
0: Correct. So this is... Um, bulging is the best way to do yeah. this. You go straight in, you call a heroic combat off something, you get your superhero into them and you take them down. They don't have time to yeah. strike. That's why sometimes, just by calling that
1: extra move earlier on, you can see it demoralize the opponent because they had a plan. Mm. They were going for that flash kill. And you call the move and you just see it in their eyes when they realize they can't get the full flash kill.
0: Oh, the march. The march is the worst. I was like, oh no, yeah. they get used out of that hero before <laughs> I can kill it. Yeah, it, it works really well on combat heroes. So, um, named heroes that are good combat, um, sometimes cavalry heroes, ones that you expect to come in and fight, you're not doing a lot of leadership or even better, the ones that are there for the end phase. So
1: yes, he's here to provide leadership and
0: yeah. oh, like say a Beragond, he's got bodyguard, he's got standfast, yeah. and oh, he's dead. Yeah. Anyone who either has bodyguard or is the, the one that owns the bodyguard, so much fun to, to do the flash kills. And you, you always got to announce it to everyone in the room as well. Mm-hmm. So when you get this one, you have to go and just... You, you, talk, you call the tournament organizer over, you just go, look at that, I just killed a full stat Faramir. Yep.
1: Uh, it depends how confident you are, because you can call them over when you win the fight and you show them the pile of dice. Yes. And you, yep. you've, got to be, you've got to be sure, because if you botch this, it's really embarrassing. Um, because if you call people over and then you don't roll the wounds, then, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't look great for your... Um, What's your reputation? best flash kill? Best flash kill. Yeah. There's the two sides of it. So, on one side, you can go in to say, you know, a fatty bulger. That's always fun. But most impressive? Yep. Okay. So, I've got this one just on my mind. It wasn't one hero. It was two Isengard trolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thaedon had got hit by powerful and deadly magic, sort um, thrown him off his horse. He was... You know, so he was lying prone with a troll in his face. He had a couple of mates, so he called the heroic combat. He killed that troll, charged into the second troll, killed that troll as well. So, two trolls
0: dead from a prone sardin with a heroic combat. Not bad at all. My I've got two. First one, it was a heroic combat from Azog on Warg, killed a hero. It was I don't know, just a captain level hero. Used the heroic combat to charge Gandalf. Full stat Gandalf. A full stat Gandalf. Took him out. What was he using his stats for? Like, D- I don't know, dying. I, he did use his fate, but I did... But, but at the start of the phase, I yeah. know, he didn't actually use the fate because I did seven wounds or something to him. So he died with full stat? Yes. Nice. Yeah, that was that was probably from that okay. point of view the best achievement because Azog's got the three plus to wound heroes. Mm-hmm. So you can, And you can throw like eight attacks or something when you're yes. on the charge and you've got might. You've got six might, yeah. so it's pretty hard not to get it. That even beats
1: our Fall of the Necromancer stories. When You remember that scenario where both sides pretty much just had 12 heroes mm. and they showed up in groups of three. So that scenario was written to score flash kills. Yes. Yeah, no, but, that's a good one.
0: No, that was my, my, probably my best true flash kill. My most impressive one, though, was um, it, not so much a flash kill. Oh, I guess it was. It was a combination with one of the previous ones. Um, I used Mahood Camel Captains, Yes, to take out a tree beard before it fought a combat.
1: Ah, so the start of the move phase, and then you got him,
0: got him, got him. <laughs> one turn, five mood captains. No, one king and four captains into tree beard. Mm-hmm. Spent majority of my might, and um, this is when you could use. I don't know if you still can, but you could definitely use it then. Yep. and took out a tree beard. Very nicely done. I think it had to use the fate, though. I think it failed some fate and used some might and stuff. I don't think I did full six wounds. I think I might have done four or something like that, or five.
1: Um, But enough. The the start of the phase, he was fine. At the end of the phase, he was dead.
0: Yes, yes, he definitely was. It was an impressive one. (laughs) Okay. Okay, um,
1: we're into the Gs now, and we have Going Dark. Now, this is a tricky one. Because going dark is a position and psychological warfare tactic in which one player utilizes gaps in their imp- in the opposing player's arc of vision to generate uncertainty surrounding the exact position of their resources. So effectively, this a tactic works when your opponent's sitting down. <laughs> you see a building, you move behind the building. The opponent doesn't know exactly where you are. Yes. And I've seen this at tournaments where... 12 models walk behind a building and only 10 come out the other side. But their <laughs> opponent doesn't realise. Yes. So the warbands go off and fight and then this is particularly nasty with Falwags because they can charge around that building. But for anybody else, somebody wanders past to grab a late objective and these two guys jump out of the building and mug him.
0: I had the most extreme case of this in uh, probably would have been the, the, one of the very first editions before even the Blue Rulebook, playing a tournament, had a dwarf army... Inside a castle. So, behind a wall. So, none of them could be seen. You could do um, the volley firing where you could shoot over the walls if someone spotted. So, like two dwarfs of shield came either side, spotted my wood-up army. And just, I got rain of arrows all the time. I would go, I would shoot the one dwarf spotter. And then another dwarf spotter would come slowly out and all the arrows would kill me. And I just got wiped out. It was the, the most embarrassing Okay, so that's
1: that's a much less subtle. No, it use wasn't of subtle the, at all. Because oh. for a true going dark, it's more of the psychological warfare of the you don't know where I am. Well, I did know where they were because all I can see is <laughs> this
0: castle and two spotters, which I shot each time. Yes. Oh, was... no,
1: but this isn't the army. This is the player. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The player doesn't know where you are. No, that's, so good. that's good. I saw this one where, especially earlier on, when, as you're saying, you used to be able to spread your models all over the deployment zone. You'd be able to place a guy behind a tree and just never move him until the last turns of the game. And just no one would assume that there was a guy behind that tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This almost caught me, not because the models had moved that way, but this is why I stopped sitting down at tournaments. There was a piece of terrain. There was a wall, in fact. And there was a door through this wall that I couldn't see from where I was sitting, so I thought I had Boromir blocked in. He was caught. There was no way he was getting out mm-hmm. until he walked straight through this great big door in the wall that I'd pinned him against <laughs> and he blew up one of my objectives because we yep. were using the destructible objectives. So never sit down at a tournament. That reminds Boromir will get you.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of the Kylie special, which I'm going to next um, because this is the one... I don't know how Kylie's claimed it because I think other people... I don't know. This, this version of it is definitely Kylie's. Uh, basically, you... You dismount a hero, and then use it to gain the extra inch of movement. Now you used to be able to use that to just jump straight into combat, so that yes. was the key. Now I don't think you can do that. So no. no. So it's not as useful, probably for getting objectives, maybe, or like a, getting a, some sort of support bubble going.
1: Yes. So if yeah, if your hero had a spear, they could definitely ride yeah. up and you know drop in with their fight nine and. Lend that
0: to the combat. A Gilglad would be probably the key for the, the Kylie special yeah. at the moment. Yeah, to support. Just drop Fight 9 into a combat.
1: You can still use it defensively. So if they think they've got you trapped and surrounded, you dismount, you're on a smaller base, you escape.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you still can, but I used to be able to do this off heroic combat where, like, they would have you, and you'd call the heroic combat and then disappear through a little door. Yep, because so you so... couldn't fit...
1: Or they thought you couldn't fit. Yeah,
0: they, like, I had one where they thought Azog was trapped but he dismounted as part of a heroic combat, killed a guy. The Warg stayed there, Azog legged it, and went and pinned a Harajim hero against the wall and, and trapped him. So not quite the Kylie special, but it's... um, Yeah, some, some very interesting tactics there. Okay, so this brings us
1: to, of course, the Leroy Jenkins.
0: Because <laughs> you've got to have, in a game
1: like this, the Leroy Jenkins. I saw this one... Ah, uh, was I think it was at a Masters, and possibly an Arcanicon, many years ago. I had the Heradrum gun line. We were set up, we were dug in. The Gondor were coming towards us, and there was this wall. Um, low wall that they all took took cover behind, too deep, with their shields up in a full tortoise formation. And I was just rattling arrows across the top of it. Um, we are getting a few kills either way, so you had a couple of ranges. But then it got to turn five or six, and he just sort of checked his watch and went, now we go. So all of his troops, the front rank, jumped up and over the fence. The second rank moved up to try and jump the fence as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he failed quite a few of these jump tests. So they got bottlenecked there. But one guy got a six. So he looked at it and he said, I could hold him back and wait for the three turns it's going to take for me to clear all my troops over this wall. They could have walked around would take him yeah, yeah. one turn. But he, he, he wanted <laughs> no, no. to go over. He go over, yes. So... He's like, while I wait for them to go over the top No, I will send this one guy in, alone (laughs) Unsupported, to try and tie up as many enemy archers as he can So he came legging it across the field towards me I couldn't hit him I put something like, had 12 archers, 2 turns, 24 shots into this guy Nothing touched him, went straight into combat Trapped, surrounded, throughout combat And off I went Yeah, nice But he looked cool while doing it This is
0: very similar to the tactic I used with Grima Yes. So, he runs off. People expect him to hang around with heroes. hmm I've actually found it very useful for him to, to run at crossbows. Ah.
1: So, you've found a way because he can't get heroic combat off.
0: Yes. Because yeah. this
1: tactic, it cost me a turn of shooting, but I got the heroic combat, which let me reset. So, it got me more distance.
0: Yeah. So, he goes and he basically, he doesn't even enter combat. So, you just run an inch away from a captain with a bow or something and just dance in front of him. And it just frustrates the opponent because they can charge him with their shooting weapons and they don't get to shoot. Yes. Or they can move, and if, especially if it's a crossbow or something like that, they, they don't get, to, get shoot. to shoot. And it buys time for your terrible Dungland army. So it's it's sometimes it's going to have good uses. That's, that's genius. Mm, people used to do it with like a Spider Queen as well, and that was scary. Yes. Because it used to, be how to take out all the items oh, However, the on its Spider own.
1: Queen is low enough defence though that that's a that's a high risk blue yeah. oh, Jenkins. Oh, massive high risk.
0: Yes, absolutely is a lot lower. Tom Bombadil, low risk. Yeah, I can see that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, he would definitely go off on But high own. points, more points than Grima. Yeah, no, oftentimes it works with just some throwaway one. Um, high defense models, a vault, ward, shield, just running in it, just trying to hold them up. Merkle Rangers love doing this because if you go and put one guy into them, they've got a good chance of winning. If you put a bunch into them, they've got an even better chance of winning. So you end up fighting one-on-one with them and yes, they, they win yes. some fights and just stay around. No, I can
1: see that. I can see that Tariel? as well.
0: Ugh, nasty. High, high cost, but she's, yeah, she Yeah, I've loves had this. her
1: just leg it straight into my wall of archers and they're left standing there going,
0: shooting to combat it's the only thing we've got left. And Yeah. No, she loves it. She even loves it. The thing she likes more is just running forwards just behind a bit of terrain. Yes, yes. So they can't yes. see her because the Elven cloak. And then she sits there and pegs a few shots at them and just acts as a speed bump for when they finally come at the ranges. Mm-hmm. Ugh, some good good tactics there. I like it. Mine one. Is going my next one. The next highlight, because we can't show them all, micro trap. Now, this one, it's it's not so much the definition. The micro trap has been evolved into being where you try and trap a model with one model, essentially. Yes. So it's it's very possible if you have some other things that are stationary around you, terrain or models or a combination yes. of both. Because if or, you've got
1: the priority, then you can choose the combat order.
0: Correct. Correct. This one I just said as a joke initially because it was in response to to Kylie naming everything, which is why we've got such a fine document here. And she was talking about micro warbands a lot at the time because they were very fashionable at the time with that one tournament that Danny brought them and won it and then no one else used them later.
1: Uh, I gave it a shot because he dared me to. That was a mistake because he had won the tournament so I couldn't actually do better than him no.
0: anyway. So he won that. Yep. But, oh, well. Yep, but, the, um, but that's something that's developed from a bit of a joke to a, a tactic that is one that is... A winning tactic. If you can yes. get a trap of one model, you are doing really well.
1: And the best part of, about the micro trap, of course, is there's also the macro trap, yes. which is where you get one model on its own, and you put eight of your models into it, more <laughs> if you've got pikes. And then, of course, the mega trap, which is where there's a group of models, so you do the same thing. You just wrap them all up, and you yep. trap all of them.
0: Yep. Yeah. And if you pick your order, you can end up with them all trapped. Yes. Except probably the last one, but...
1: Well, if you're killing them, then they get free, but you've killed some, so... It's
0: a lot easier now as well, because you have to go directly in a straight line to back away. Before, you could curve a little bit, as long as you displaced an inch. Oh, it has to be a straight
1: line. You still get to pick the
0: direction, though. It's not directly away, so it has to be in the back, sort of 180 degrees. So this
1: means you won't still be in contact with a round objective, because if you have to push back in a straight line, you're at a tangent. Yes. Yes, yes. Best, you cannot
0: yes. be, because you have to wrap around to do that. That's what people used to do. So just winning a fight on an objective means the other person's off the objective.
1: Oh, very nice. Unless, yeah. you, unless you trap them.
0: Yes. Yeah,
1: that's correct. So you don't. But that would win you the game, surely, if you trap them. But... It depends on the situation. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> things we learn. That's a good one. We do have to mention the Matt Sportsmanship Maneuver. Yes, yes we do. Simply because this is a tactic that began as a joke but actually blossomed into a tactic. Mm -hmm. Uh, This comes from the times when um, Matt was faced with an opponent that made a mistake. And he talked the opponent through their mistake and gave them sagely advice on how best to defeat his army. This resulted in Matt losing. However, it would generate much gratitude with your opponent. So the Matt sportsmanship tactic is one which trades in-game effectiveness for your opponent's gratitude, which you can <laughs> then either leverage for best sports votes yes. or for deception tactics later on. Yes, We might get to the voice of Saruman later. That's
0: probably my favorite of the deception tactics. You can definitely, you can definitely talk about that one later. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. Yeah, Matt, um, he, I think he started doing this inadvertently and then refined it to be an ultimate tactic. He, sometimes it's gone a bit too far when he's basically told the person how to beat him. Which it depends, though, way. whether
1: he's after the gratitude for deception or the gratitude for sports votes. I
0: think sometimes he's just mistaken; that it was actually going for a win, and then slipped up into his default mode.
1: Ah, so he forgot to activate phase two.
0: Yes, yes, <laughs> that's a good one. My, I think this is also my favorite one for the whole book: the Picard maneuver. This is deadly. I have it allows. There is no
1: defense. To the Picard Maneuver.
0: Now, the Picard Maneuver, I don't think we've mentioned properly on a podcast. I'm actually going to read it out a bit because it's not one that we mention in casual conversation a lot. No, it's, it's, so it's too powerful. It's um, too powerful. It's just, just look, if you've heard this, forget it straight away. Um, the Picard Maneuver, it's an offensive tempo and deception tactic that convinces your opponent that the mounted hero is slower than he really is. So this is hard to do because they've got a tape measure. Yes. So it's done by moving the mountain, mounted hero in a group of a selection of slower troops. He's always got to be moving faster, but never uses his full speed. So, you move your troops like four or five inches. So, say, if you've got, I don't know, a Thranduil on an elk. Yes, with, I may have seen this. With some uh, Mirkwood ones, <laughs> Mirkwood Warriors. And the Mirkwood Warriors move about four and a half inches, and Thranduil moves his eight inches. And I keep doing that a few turns. So, they assume they're going full speed. And then it's, it throws off the, the guesswork, because at some point in the game, you're going to go full speed and it has to be the time when it's going to dominate. And when you do, all of the
1: opponent's position, all of their tempo is focused on an area where you are not. Yes. This allows you to inflict damage where you are. As Jeremy was saying, uh, there was a game that we played. This was actually a doubles tournament. Mm. So he pulled this against not one, but two opponents. Yes, yes. Uh, Thandral was sort of mooching around, and he was moving backwards and forwards behind the Elven line to support different ends. But he was moving... At less than full speed. Yes. Yes. So when the big push came onto one side and Thayden had to ride in to reinforce it, he was confident that he was out of charge range. It didn't even measure it because he was so obviously out of charge range.
0: Because mm. I, would, I would sort of go backwards and forwards almost implying my maximum distance because I went horizontal quite a bit. So you didn't realise I could go further than that.
1: Yes. So this was... Thaden and his mate, his mate charged the captain, he's like, on foot, he's like, oh, he'll, he might call the right combat, but my guy, it's not guaranteed to kill my guy, and then if a captain comes at me, Thaden charged someone else, We he still gets his knockdown, it'll be fine. Then an elk appeared round the corner, <laughs> and moved three or four inches further than its absolute maximum move, and we said, what is this? And Jeremy showed us a tape measure, and we're like, oh... We have been deceived. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, heroic combat from the captain propelled Thandral into Thadden. Thadden went down. Bodyguard went down. The flank went down. The game was... Yeah, the game went down. No, not good was, for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was somewhat embarrassing because he fooled both of us.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's... then
1: he got us again because the cavalry that had been hanging around with... Um, uh, in the same general area then thundered off to one of the objectives that we thought was at least two turns away. <laughs> um, yes. Also embarrassing.
0: It helped that my opponent uh, was a Henry, so he could use the Henry Kerr tactic. Oh, uh, that was your ally and my ally. Yeah, sorry, not my friend, my ally, and also he had dwarves, so it made it convincing the slow movement because I could because keep... your guys were moving faster than the dwarves. Yeah, so quite clearly they, but the dwarves were going about you know four. We weren't in a hurry. We were, yeah. we were walking quite slowly through the buildings, and oh, it, it was good fun. It was it was. Look, I'll be honest. That's probably the one time that I've i pulled it off successfully. It was hard, and it was because you two were so focused on... On like, fighting Henry. Yes, because Henry was a big distraction. Because basically, <laughs> my advice to Henry... my, I work really well with Henry in doubles, because I can go tell Henry, go to that point in the battlefield, and he'll go there, and he'll just own that point in the battlefield. It doesn't matter how much stuff oh, you yeah. put on him, he'll he'll hold it. Because I had Nick, and Nick had Aragon, and Aragon was
1: failing to break through, because oh, yeah, yeah. he ran up against Henry. And yes, yes. So he's we we, we didn't have enough up. of a debt... We didn't have a death wave. We had a death ball. And that's, you know, just not what you need against a
0: Henry Kerr. No, so the tactic, I said, you go hold that point. I'll get all the objectives. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was a bit crazy, which pretty much is the tactic for doubles. I go, don't worry. I've got it. <laughs> so, yeah, so, the perceived confidence advantage is also a powerful tactic. Well, what else are I going to do? I've got elves. I didn't want to do the fighting. <laughs> so I, Part of, the, part of the aim for doubles as well is to be the last one standing. So you want your opponent to do. Your, your, <laughs> you want your ally to do all the work and then you take all the glory. So I got all the objectives, whereas he did all the fighting.
1: Ah, glorious. Okay, next up we have the reconnaissance in force. This is my default tactic whenever I'm approaching just a game in general. The reconnaissance in force is simply when you decide that you will secure position and tempo by seizing the initiative. You don't have a plan beyond that. You are just going to go forwards and do stuff because your opponent sees this mass of confidence coming towards them and they have to respond. Based off how they respond under pressure, you then build your tactics according to what they're up to. So, again, this is similar to Jeremy's approach of he can scramble faster. But instead of beginning in a disorganized mass, I begin with a show of force straight down the middle, see what the enemy does.
0: Mm-hmm yep okay I'm gonna fast forward now to shooting the moon this one's a simple one but it's it's very dear to me it's a term you apply it when you attempt to kill the opponent's biggest piece with shooting now the, the the nice thing about this tactic is you rarely do it but it's valuable anyway because it sometimes moves that troll chieftain to the back or it, like they, they they end up running away with it
1: What's the biggest piece you've seen killed by pure shooting? By Cause, pure shooting. Because I've seen troll brutes go down to it. That's fairly oh, tra- common.
0: Troll tra- brutes is pretty common.
1: Um, I've lost Moomucks to shooting, but
0: they had fought combats as well. So. I have um, I think it would have to be the heroes. Um, I one shot at a Boromir once of shooting.
1: Yeah, um, that was with Bard and his friend with the book, wasn't it?
0: Yes, Bard was the one I do. That was my main tactic, my, my yes, Bard. I remember uh, that tournament.
1: Bard killed in my army. He killed Kirian turn one, then full refreshed his stats. Yes. Uh, he then
0: killed somebody else turn two. For Didn't quite get the full refresh from that one, though. Yeah, so what I usually do with that one is everyone unloads who has um, just archery and usually pick a wound off or a fade off or something like that, but you clear the enemies around it. And then Bard unloads with his multiple shots. Back then, he could re-roll. I'm not sure the Black Arrow works the same way now, but you could use it if you had enough might and if you were tricky enough to have Alfred nearby and he didn't steal the might of Bard like he did sometimes. You could legitimately go after someone really powerful. Um, I think uh, a mounted Boromir was one I got. I got a Thranduil. Oh, nice! And it was one that it was the Elven cloak one, the pajama one. But he was on. He was hiding behind some palace guards. My friends took out all the palace guards, and Bard just unloaded on him, took him out. Um, and I th- I've think i killed, like, trolls are pretty, um, trolls with elves are pretty common. Yes, because you so, got the higher strength in so the shooting. So you tend to kill them. So I've done lots of, like, mortal trolls and these sort of ones. I don't remember my Gundabed trolls going down to shooting, but they might have. Yeah. I
1: find this, because I've been playing a bit of battle companies le- lately, you end up with heroes, because you get the choice of strength or defense, attacks or wounds, you end up with, like, fight six, three attacks, strength five heroes with one, one, wound. one wound. Yes. Yes. So you look at them and you go, "That's a mighty impressive hero there." Would be a pity if somebody had taken
0: <laughs> shooting skills, mm, eh? What a pity! What a pity! <laughs> 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 yes, I agree with that. It's, but I think my, it's not quite what I did there. But I remember one game where I um I was going against a goblin horde, like a massive horde. Yes. And they had a shaman, mm-hmm. and I shot and I took a wound off that shaman, and the next turn that shaman had seven models in a conga line yes, in the yes. way. To try and stop me shooting at it. Mm-hmm. Now, what that meant is it was out of fury range for the front rank. Ah, so, it was brilliant. actually ineffective because he was so scared mm-hmm. of my shooting. So, um, it definitely wasn't the most powerful piece, but it feels like one of those stories. When where, the
1: entire uh, army goes, you know what guys, new plan.
0: Yeah, I can't afford to lose the shaman. I'll put him where he's, he's not, not actually being used. Yes. <laughs> that was good.
1: Mm-hmm. Glorious. We have to, while we're here, mention Smug on base and Smug somewhat on base. Smug on base. Smile on base. Um, however, Smug somewhat on base is actually a tactic. What you do, this works particularly well with Moomucks, but mainly because I haven't tried a smile yet, mm-hmm. is you take your Moomuck off its base to measure something carefully and you put the Moomuck down next to the base or even better, just a slightly off to one side, but you position it so it looks thematic and your opponent's subconscious will start registering as two Moomucks because quite clearly there's a Moomark there, but the base is over there, so that's also a Moomark. Mm. And you can actually begin shepherding your opponent in the direction you want them to go by placing your not-a-Moomark at all in different points of the board.
0: Yes, interesting. Because it's got
1: to stay on the table for you know yeah. visual effect. Like, you quite clearly, removing it and storing yes. it elsewhere would no, be no, unacceptable.
0: Definitely... Yep. Yeah, no, that, that is a tricky one. Um, I'm David, I'm going to say it now. Mm-hmm. This year, 2019, I'm going to get my smoke done. <laughs> I'm going to get it done. It's going to happen. Fine. Done. Finished. On the table. P- fully painted. At the moment, it's um, been airbrushed. And so all the base colours are on it. So it's... Um, the issue I had was that I actually injured my arm painting it. Okay. Because it's it's quite heavy. Yes. And I was holding it in a way that... It Don't was just... they have like extra
1: large suitable base holders now? Yeah, are they, they just not they they quite do. large they enough? They do.
0: So I ordered the smug base holder. I'm sure that that will fit. So I'm actually going to have to make a painting cradle for it. Yes. So I'm going to yes. get some foam or something like that and just make a spot where it can rest because I don't want it to break.
1: I'm now thinking one of those things they train astronauts on, you know, the rings that rotate yeah. and th- on three
0: axes. Mm. Yes, yes. So that's that's been the delay more than anything was that I did it first and then just my, my left arm, just the holding it, just hurt my wrist and, and the arm and I had it all all out of whack and uh, couldn't paint for a while. And then it's it's hidden away. So I definitely need to get that done. That's That's going to be my project for 2019. That's
1: actually the smug on base counter-tactic. The weight of the smug is so heavy that if you insist the opponent leaves it on their base, it'll tire them out more rapidly.
0: That's true. It will. Fatigue. Very good. Very good. Okay, so the tempo shift. This is... I think mastering the tempo shift is really important. So it's a transitional strategy where you basically decide the current tempo of your army is no longer acceptable. What's happening? Not good. It's not winning fast enough. Um, It's not going to last. It's dying too quickly or whatever. You abandon your current strategy in favor of one of a higher or lower tempo. Now, um, it's usually done towards the end of the game for for tactic stuff. Sometimes it's the, um, hold the line to die quickly so that the game. You know the ones that end at breakpoint. Yes, you and, you and you suddenly up.
1: you stop shielding, you start yep. stabbing, and
0: yep, or the opposite way. It's just like okay, I'm not attacking at all. I'm just going to shield everywhere. Yes, because you're broken and I'm not, and mm-hmm. I need a, a, a change. Uh, Sometimes it's almost, we refer to it as like a plan A, B, C, D or whatever, where yes. on the fly you, you come up with a new plan. You but go, this
1: is the timing of the switch. Yes.
0: So you've got to really focus on it. and it's, it's quite an interesting tactic when people use it against you because it's really hard to see if it's effective until after the game. Yes. It, um, there's not a lot of tactics that really throw me off, but mm-hmm. this one can. Mm-hmm. I was playing a game of my Ringwraiths um, against a Dwarf player who, at the start of the game, was r- hyper-aggressive, running at me with Kazakh Guard, attack, 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 and then like midway through the game, went all out shielding and just okay. stopped like, trying to kill me.
1: I've gotten to the point where I wish to achieve on this board, I will hold here, or...
0: Well, well but it was almost aggressive shielding. It was like, okay, it I It was know a Ringwraith
1: no army. Was he trying to burn out your will, or was this the other type of Ringwraith? wraith?
0: I think no, it was the it was the one that um they they regenerate. Okay, so not the burnout wheel ringoth. Okay, so it was the problem was it was keeping them alive, so I couldn't move them. Ah, okay, so
1: yes, because you get the six inch place every time yeah, they die, and, they and die. the dwarves are like, you know what? We can't catch them. We've got five inch moves. Let's just sit here with our shields.
0: But I threw in a tempo shift on my own because with that army, I'm super conservative. Of the might it's like I'll use the um the orc. What is it? The um, keeper of the dungeons might for yeah, heroic bulk. moves. Bog, yeah, the old Bog. Haven Metal Bog. Um, the Necromancers, I actually use for moves. I don't like to because it's so valuable, but it's, m- it's more valuable on the um- the Ring Race because it's their life. It basically keeps them alive for a turn. So I, I got to the point where once the dwarves are broken, it was a massive tempo shift. Every model in my army called a heroic combat. It was. Just- I only got two or three of them off, but it was just all out aggression. Right, right, I'm going to wipe out as many dwarves as I can. Totally different tactic. All my might is now for combat. Nothing is for staying alive. If I stay alive, who cares?
1: At which point, the opponent would probably need to then tempo shift back. If you're now burning might, you'll become vulnerable, so the aggression might become more effective. Yeah. Which is, again, the timing of that tempo shift. Because if you you go aggressive too soon, they go aggressive back.
0: Um, Yes, it was a double tempo shift game. Yeah. It was a a good game.
1: Really good game. The way I like to play this is I open with an obviously defensive front line. So all my warriors, they form up their two lines, they advance out in their reconnaissance in force, and the heroes hang one rank back. So if the enemy wants to do something fancy with their heroes, it'll just be munching through warriors. My heroes can see what's happening. They can Mm -hmm. get a feel for how the opponent plays. Then when I think I've got enough of an idea what the opponent's plan is, then I Send the activation order to my heroes. They go in with their might. That's yeah. the plan. Yeah, Doesn't always work. No, um, no. Sometimes you'll get a couple of turns where you just keep losing priority and the enemy's not killing your warriors that fast. So your heroes just stand there going, you know, one of these days we're going to get into that combat. It's going to be good. Just you mm. wait.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. When these come off, it's the best story ever, isn't yes. it? Yes. Like, we, we haven't done a lot of stories about when they're failing. We've got a few of them in there, but it's, it is fun when they, they go off.
1: I've had games where the army broke and my heroes are still at fresh stats because the enemy kept winning priority and kept pitting my army so my heroes couldn't get to them. Mm. But then when the enemy did get through, I had all my heroes still fresh, so then I went into them and tried to clear them back off. And yeah. Balanced out, sort of, ish. This is one I've been waiting for for a while. The Voice of Saruman. This is my favourite of the deception tactics because it really gets at the key of psychological warfare. What you do is you set up the condition of deception, no deception. Effectively, if you're always trying to deceive your opponent, your opponent will know. So you can't always be deceiving them. In fact, sometimes when you tell them the truth, you want the opponent to disbelieve you. (laughs) So the opponent should never be certain whether they should trust you or not during a Mm. deception, no deception. But what we do is we lead in with the Matt sportsmanship maneuver. We give them advice. We give them good advice. Yes. And we never actually lie to them. That's also important.
0: Mm, no, no. But then you
1: that. get to a point later in the game and you can stop the opponent and you can say, okay, this is the situation. Uh, your ring race there, he's down to about six will. So if he gets stuck into combat and he burns through it, you've probably got three turns, a bit of casting, a bit of magic. Or you can pull him back, hold him out, and then you lay out what would happen from those two. So <laughs> you, you paid all those points for the horse. If you pull him out, the those points are wasted um, but if you go in now while you've still got your will left you can try and you know recoup that cost you can get some early kills maybe tip the game or you can pull back and play yep, conservative yep, yep. and the opponent looks at and then goes yeah I do have a horse and you go you know that's an extra attack on the charge but that's doubled when you rolled a wound <laughs> so you're throwing four dice to wound or what's your strength and then he checks through strength four what's their fight Fight five. Oh fight five. Yeah. So that you know that those are your two options. And he goes, Oh, I'll go into combat. So yeah, he fights a turn of combat, kills some warriors, and then the knight of the white tail walks in, kills him. <laughs> <laughs> so That's you amazing. never lie at your opponent, but you can present truths in a way that and you and you stroke your chin and you
0: say, Will you not consult with me? Yes. Yeah. I like to go almost extreme with this. I suggest ridiculous things at the start of the game. That's the other way. So I go I go, Okay, are you gonna heroic march of anyone?
1: And then when you suggest something that's a good idea, the opponent they, assumes they it's it. ridiculous. Yeah. So yes.
0: th- throughout the game, I const- like I, at the start of it, I'll be su- suggesting ridiculous stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets close to combat, I go, oh, you're going to call her a combat with Boromir? And they go, ooh. ooh. It mm-hmm. must, what's wrong with this? Hang on. Yeah, um. I, go, I, go, I, go, I go, do it. Do it. Mm-hmm. He's good. And I'll, I'll convince him to do this. But I'm convincing him yeah. to do the right thing because this is the good yeah. tactic at this point. Yes. So you go and and it's that, that tr- gradual transition... The key is to keep talking the whole time.
1: Yes. Um, My favourite phrase to use, so if anyone's playing against me a tournament and you hear the words, there is a risk, but... Mm, That's the one to watch for. Because quite often, if I'm recommending a tempo shift, I'll say, okay, your army's here, you're in the open. You've got two options. You can try and hold where you are, or you can try and withdraw back to this much more defensive area. Now, there is a risk I'll be able to catch you mid-withdrawal but if you do make it back, you'll be in a much stronger position.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's really risky, but you would get that objective, which is worth three points. If you
1: can pull this off, there's a risk, but if you can pull it off, then
0: all this good stuff will happen. And vice versa. (laughs) It's a risk, but... And then it's not that valuable to pull off. (laughs) Uh, Do you think other people, other tournament scenes, talk in the games as much as we do? I don't know. Like, here's the thing. It's layered strategy. Mm. So
1: the fact that it becomes a more casual game actually gives you more routes to be competitive in. Correct. It's the thing a lot of people don't understand about layered probability. If something is a certainty, there's very little strategy involved because you choose the certainty. mm. Since everything's a chance, you've got to build probability on top of probability in the hope that, yes, I might roll a pile of ones now, but just you wait till next turn because I've got a plan for next turn if the ones show up now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having having that almost tree where if this happens, this happens, if this happens... Yes, and and then you build a flowchart out of it. And if you can ever control your opponent using the voice of Sauron to do what you want them to do, you've gone a long way towards winning. It comes
1: back to your deep deceptions. Um,
0: Deep deception is the
1: ability to get inside the opponent's head, know what they want to believe, so that you can feed your deceptions towards that. Mm. (laughs) Best example I have is I love playing Shield Wall Armies. Shield Wall Armies, for me, that's where the game sings. Because... You get your regimented games, the line hits the line, one of them loses, breaks, runs, that, that's it. The whole big combat came down to one courage test. In Lord of the Rings, it's not. You can play turn after turn of yes. this shield wall manoeuvring. It's, it's where all the game's mechanics come into their own and it's the best thing ever. I know which opponents on the circuit like to play that way as well. And when we come up against each other, <laughs> we deploy on the center line and we smash our armies into each other and it's glorious fun until came came up. So I deployed on the center line. They deployed. Well, we had to deploy back because it walks yes. on. But we, we were squaring up to go on the center line. And then the opponent knew where I was going because so they moved to the center line to match me. I then marched around and walked straight off the table. It was disappointing for both of us because we were both keyed up for that big <laughs> center line fight. But I. Crushing victory to me. Really disappointing because you saw it in both of our eyes. We're like, I don't want to do this.
0: But. There's victory points. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. And I can see that it, there is a real sort of artistry in the game about how the shield wall fights like develop. Yes. And when you get those little holes and it takes a long time, they hold, they hold, they hold. Yes. And then all of a sudden it's like, I just don't because have enough.
1: You can see it weakening. You can yes. see their reserves ticking down, you can see their might shifting, the formation you've bowed that bit out a little bit. Suddenly, so. the
0: shieldman's in the front, ra- the spearman's in the front rank instead of in the back rank, mm, and that changes the defense. So you can, yes, yeah, no, absolutely, no, it's, I, yeah, I can, I can see the appeal to that, and and tactically, I don't necessarily like to play them because a lot of the choices are gone, but artistically, I do like to see it when it does happen because it usually happens at some point. I do like to see how it develops, and uh, yeah, it's fun. So my next one and we're, we're getting towards the end of our little preview of this document, there's a lot more here, David, but we're definitely not going to go through, through them all, is the one I like here is another Star Trek reference. You've got a lot of them here, David. Uh, Wolf 359. It's a position tactic that when you have your reinforcement rolls are totally rubbish and you're all over the place, it's basically run to the center, build up a line, and then start the game. Yes, it's... It's
1: when you send out the order to all of your guys, because they're scattered all across the quadrant, and you say, everybody, rendezvous at best speed at this objective here. Yes. And everyone goes, all right, drop whatever we're doing, everybody to that point, because that is where the fate of the universe will be decided.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it can sort of look... It's not always the center one as well. Sometimes you pick certain points, so it's almost a gather your battle line and then go attack. This is...
1: Um, if you've looked at Heirlooms of Ages Past, this is the scramble on the yes, flowchart. Yes. It's when the objective turned up somewhere that neither player expected it, and that thing is worth a full half of the victory points. So you just say, I don't care what you're doing. Everybody get over there. Yes.
0: Yeah. And there's a few guys going back, holding off the opponent. No,
1: not you. I <laughs> meant <Yeah, laughs> okay. those guys get over there. Mm. We do have another one in the Ws, which is worth mentioning, and this is the WWGD, or the What Would Gandalf or Gothmorg, If You're Evil, Do? Uh, This is where you base your decision-making, because we've been talking tactics from a game-winning perspective, a competitive perspective. This is where you base your decisions on a thematic perspective. So, for instance, let's say you have your army selection, and you've taken a Lake Town army. And you have Alfred and you have Bard. Now, that's some really good themed army selection. Mm -hmm. But if in gameplay, Alfred gives advice to Bard and Bard listens to that, then that's rubbish thematically. Yes. So, from a thematic point of view, this player would go, no, I will choose the most thematic option available. Which you do run into these people occasionally. Yeah. I...
0: I like to do it with the selection as much as possible, but in the game, sometimes it's very much the... I've got a game to win, so I will break it a little bit. I like the the version of it, which is the WWGD, What Will Grima Do? Ooh, because then you get to Grima do... What Do? You get to be yeah. as manipulative as you want. You get to throw your own, own players under the bus. So sacrificing yes, yes. your own team, fine. Talking, whispering constantly. Um, when I play Grima, I love just whispering to the opponent the whole time, just yep. telling them what to do, telling them how to spend their might. That's mm-hmm. the best thing to do. Yes, Look, it'll cost you two might, but that heroic move would be worth it. Yes. It would be yes. really good. You, would, you definitely do. It would be this. wise, you know. It would be it, absolutely wise. And look, you'd still have zero left, but but you don't need it because you're in the spot you want to be at that point, and there's no chance of me walking away very slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: there is um, one... Situation I can think of where I've used this and it actually gave me a significant in-game advantage. Ooh. That is the Knight of the White Tower, because I made the decision. Um, this guy's walking around with a giant sword. It's very clearly designed for attack. It would be quite difficult to, you know, parry with something that big. So he's just going to hold it up in the air and drop it on you. At this point, so he fights two-handed. It's just what he does. If there is any possibility of getting a chance to roll the wound, he fights two-handed. And he has won the most against the odd combats. And then he's like, right, well, I've got two-handed weapon now, so watch me kill all of the heroes that were surrounding me. Mm. Because he's the Knight of the White Tower. He fights two-handed. That's what he does.
0: Yes. <laughs> so,
1: like, he'll go into one-on-ones with Corsair captains. Ah, oh, we both fight five. Two-handed. Kill. He'll get surrounded by Delmir and
0: his mates. Two-handed. Kill. I remember it um, one game... Um, with my Numenor army. It was towards the end of the game. It was when silda had the ring. Um, I can't remember how it interacted with the horse at the time, but the game was almost over, and I was going for some last objective points. I'm like, if I go through this deep water and get to the other side, I can actually get it. So he jumped in, got off his horse, jumped in the, the deep water. gives him
1: plus one to swimming. Surely he would keep it.
0: Oh, no, maybe I did keep it. But he was in heavy
1: armor, so that would cancel that, yes. But
0: he jumped into the water and promptly drowned. Oh. So...
1: Yeah, I have seen Azildor drown, but in my case, it was Azildor, a captain of Numenor, and like one allied hero. But that was because Saruman was picking them up and throwing them into the Unduin.
0: Mm, <laughs> yes, yeah. But this one was—it was, it was <laughs> one of those ones that's like, this is perfect. I have to try it. Yes. And he did it, and he died, and I was—I had the biggest smile on my face. It was because <laughs> um, that is the prime benefit of WWGD
1: is if you're playing thematically, you have already won.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I already won that game anyway, so I won more. So I got double points for that game. That was really good. So if you want to hear more of this, well, not here, but read more of this, definitely go and download David's latest version of the Tactical Dictionary. David, is some something you plan to update regularly? Um, as
1: things as things crop up, I'll definitely drop them in. As I was saying, version 1.4 has got the flowcharts added into the back. Yes. Um, because... As our listeners pointed out, there was no centralised you know, font of knowledge where you could collect all of them. Speaking of which, if anyone has any suggestions for something they'd want to see flowcharted, I'm running low on ideas. So ooh, we'll ooh, definitely get in contact and yep. we'll,
0: we'll put you onto them.
1: Um, There's also a bonus flowchart hidden in here. If you want to flip through, you can find it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like a lot of the tactics of the Green Dragon, it, some of it's absolutely serious, some of it's entirely farcical. And a lot of it's right between that. So take what you will from it. Yeah.
1: When you can tell when we're joking or not, that is when you have truly mastered the Green Dragon podcast.
0: Or have we used the voice of Saruman on you?
1: That's the thing. You would have to know whether we were joking or not to determine whether or not you have been
0: played. Yes. Okay, well, I think that's it for this episode. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you got some some enjoyment out of that, and I hope you're inspired to go look up this dictionary and start coming up with your own heroic stories about tactics and times you've outsmarted your opponent. It's always good fun. So thank you, David. Uh, we'll see you next time, listener. Remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an s at the end, or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.